Let's turn tonight uh, in our Bibles to Psalm number 69. I'm not quite sure when I stopped going through Psalms, but I do know that we uh, ended uh, at 68. So uh, I want to pick up here, Psalm number 69 uh, together. And uh, notice there, it's a psalm that was written to the choir master according to uh, what we think was a tune of some sort, uh, the lilies uh, of David, a psalm of David. And the psalmist David, by the power of the Holy Spirit, prays these words and encourages us tonight as well. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out, my throat is parched, my eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore. O God, you know my folly, the wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me. O Lord God of hosts, let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gates, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God. In the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul, redeem me, ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Let their own table be for them become a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see, and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them, and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents, for they persecute him whom you have struck down. And they recount the pain of those who, uh, those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out from the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. But I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him. 
the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah, and, shall, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. And all of God's people say, Amen. You have a sermon notes page uh, in front of you, and this, the verses are also on that uh, page. I had to shrink it down a tad bit to fit it, but uh, it's there for you. Uh, a little bit of an outline as well as we uh, come back tonight to uh, the Psalms. And in this section of the Psalms, David, uh, the, psalm, uh, the psalmists, uh, mostly David, uh, is, uh, are, are crying out uh, in distress and in anguish and in uh, heartfelt uh, uh, struggle, uh, feeling disillusioned at times. Uh, that God isn't seemingly hearing our prayers and answering our prayers and helping us when we need him and, 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 and where we need him, uh, why we need him, for what we need him, uh, God seems distant. And you can get a sense of that as well uh, here in Psalm 69 uh, tonight too, that God at times feels a little bit aloof from us, doesn't he? Um, not, just, not just that we feel distant from God, but at times it feels like God is distant from us. Uh, you know, where is he? We, we heard this morning, I mentioned this morning, the promise of Romans uh, 8.28, that God works together for good, and the good means ultimately our salvation. Uh, he works together for good all things, uh, for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And we put it on little consolation cards or condolence cards at times, that verse, and it might feel a little fake uh, to us too at times. Uh, because we don't really see that. We don't really feel that. And so sometimes it feels like God is distant from us, even as Christians in the New Covenant. This is David in the Old Covenant, but what about us in the New Covenant? Yeah, I can feel like God is distant. Uh, he's far from us. We, we pray uh, for all the things that we pray for. We have a big list of things, even as a church, and sometimes we feel like he's not hearing us. We ask, we seek, we knock. But where is God? So here in the psalmist, uh, uh, here in the psalm, David, notice, as he prays, uh, the, the psalm has sort of that big, that big section to it. Uh, it's verses 1 through 29. It's most of the psalm. It, it has this reality of deep distress in the believer's life. So as we read the psalm and as we uh, read it over again, I hope, this week, and as you pray through it, uh, try to memorize uh, parts of it or, you know, have it stick in your heart. Uh, recognize that what, what David is teaching us here is the reality of deep distress, deep agony in the believer's life. Uh, there, there are some, uh, some, some basketball people that I follow on Twitter, and usually uh, I see them at times uh, retweeting certain preachers. And uh, almost inevitably, these preachers have a very positive outlook on life. I mean, how would you get a million followers unless you had a positive outlook on life, right? And, uh, you know, I see these basketball coaches and so forth, you know, retweeting uh, out quotes uh, from, from this certain couple of preachers. You know, today is the day of blessing, you know. Believe it, right? Reach out and grab it, you know. Touch it. God is ready to pour out upon you, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it's sort of a daily you know, uh, these little devotions, these meditations, is always very positive. Uh, God is always ready to give good stuff. Uh, but, I, but I don't think I've ever seen these particular uh, pastors saying things like what David says. Save me, God! Where are you? I'm sinking! I'm in anguish! Help me! People hate me! 
right? Reach out and grab hold of God's promises. He wants to use you. He wants to bless you. And uh, he wants to orchestrate everybody's, uh, everybody around you's life as well to be just positive and always blessed. But David here says that people are accusing him and, and, and mocking him and reviling him, saying he's stolen stuff. When he hasn't done that, God knows his heart that he sinned. Right? He's, he's praying all these things. Deliver me, I'm sinking, and so forth. Let not floods come over my head. So what David is teaching us here, uh, in this big section of the, of the Psalms, this, this book of the Psalms, but here uh, tonight especially, again, is the reality of deep distress in a believer's life, that you and I are going to struggle. It's okay, it's normal for the Christian life to go through great struggle. Uh, doesn't Paul tell us that it's through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. He doesn't say there that there are no tribulations, that all the tribulations are going to be smoothed out. No, it's through them. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And so you can see that here, that this distress that David has, and, and he, he, he describes it in very generic terms. We don't know exactly when this happened. Uh, some psalms have a little heading. It tells us when, you know, when Saul was chasing him or so forth. This one's very generic, and so it, it applies sort of in an overall sense of the whole life of the believer. And he gives the images here of his struggles, his distress, uh, his anguish, uh, his enemies as floods. As floods. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I have come into deep waters. The flood sweeps over me. And again, he, he says there, let not, verse 15, let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth. So the waters are the floods. Kids, what did the flood do? The flood of Noah. We know that Bible story. What did God, why did God send all that water on the earth? What did the waters of the flood do? Did it just gently water the grass and make it nice and green? What did it do, Satan? London, what did it do? What do you think? The flood. Destroy. Good. Yeah. The I mean, the flood came in. It was bad news, wasn't it? And so David feels that way. And he's saying, God, all these people are making fun of me. They're accusing me as a believer. Uh, they're saying things about me that aren't true. It's like the flood is reaching up over my head. And then he describes it the other way. It's like I'm going to fall into a pit. To, right? And, and the imagery of a pit in the Old Testament is sort of it has a mouth and it's the grave here, right? This is death, and it's like a mouth, and it, it's, it opens up its mouth, and it swallows up. And you see at times in the Old Testament, God even makes the earth open up like a mouth and swallows up his enemies, right? Sort of a crack in the earth, a, uh, a fault line opens up. People fall in and die. So he's feeling this, uh, this deep distress. It's like floods over his head rising up, or it's like falling into a deep pit. And even he describes it like being in mud or quicksand, the deep mire here. There's no foothold, right? He's stuck in the mud. He's sinking down. He's afraid. Kids, when, you, when you're very little and, and, you, and your parents just chuck you in a pool, uh, you know, you have that natural instinct to hold your breath and to start, you know, flailing around. And, you know, maybe your parents put those little floaties on or like a little life vest to help you kind of get used to the water. Uh, but you know that it's a fearful thing. It's a scary thing to fall into water and to drown. Not to be able to breathe. 
Or if you've ever, you ever gone on a little hiking trip and you stepped into mud, right, or sort of a, a, a lake or, uh, or some kind of like a, just a basin of water and it's very muddy and you step in and all of a sudden like your foot is going down and you try to pull your foot out and the harder you pull out uh, your foot, the farther it sinks down and eventually you, your mom or your dad pulls you up and it's like a suction cup and your shoe is under the earth, right? You don't have a shoe anymore, it's gone. And that could have been you, and right? It's a fearful thing. It's a scary thing. And so it's real. The believer's life is full of deep distress. It could be sickness, it could be disease, it could be a diagnosis, right? It, it could be, like here, David's being accused of, of stealing stuff. He says, what, I did not steal, must I now destroy, and so forth. It could be the world around us. It could be our own past and the struggles that we still have with our own sinful past before we came to Jesus. Whatever it might be, it might be certain people that we used to hang out with, right? We can feel in deep distress, and it's normal. It's normal. The Christian life is not always going to be blessed. It's not going to be prosperity and wealth and happiness and health. Deep distress, he says. Now, it's normal because we live in a, in, a, in a fallen world, right? We live after Genesis 3. That's why it's normal, but it's not how God intended it, and we'll come to that at the end here. But it's normal for Christians, for believers, to feel distant from God at times. It's, a, it's normal to feel like we are being assaulted. It's normal to feel like we are overwhelmed, and it's like a flood overwhelming us and, and drowning us or falling into the pit or falling into mud or quicksand and not being able to get out. It's normal. And you can see all that, all the ways David describes that here and, and all of his anguish. You know, his, 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 these people gave him, verse 21, for example, poison for food. Uh, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink and so forth. Hide, verse 17, hide not your face. Why would, he, why would he pray, hide not your face, unless he felt like God had hidden his face? Right? I'm in distress. Make haste, right? Hurry up. Draw near. Redeem. Ransom, and so forth. So here's David praying that it's normal in the believer's life to, to have deep distress. And David is David's a prophet, isn't he? Is David a prophet? Right? He's a prophet. Right? He's a king, he's a prophet. He even does priestly things at times, so he's a prophet. And, and he's speaking here as David, as the king, but he's also speaking as a prophet of of. Someone to come, isn't he? He's speaking as a prophet of, of a greater king to come. He's speaking of that king that God had promised him in 2 Samuel 7, that uh, there would always be a king upon his throne, right? An eternal king upon his throne. We know it's not Solomon because Solomon died and was buried and has a tomb. He's speaking prophetically of the Messiah, the promised Savior to come, Jesus. He's speaking here of Jesus. And we can, and we can see that, very particularly, uh, that it's also true of Jesus as he enters our world as a, as a true human being, albeit uh, sinless. But you can, you can see there, uh, in very real ways, that this is a psalm also that is speaking of Jesus, or it's Jesus speaking. It's Jesus speaking through David, a thousand years before David, or before Jesus even came to this earth. You see it there where, where he talks about in verse number seven, that... Um, uh, that uh, it's for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. 
I become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my, to my mother's sons. Right? He came to his own, as John tells us in John 1, but his own did not receive him. In verse number 9, zeal of your house has consumed me. Jesus, Jesus prayed those words, you know, in the gospel. Do you know when he prayed those words? Zeal of your house has consumed me. They had these tables in the temple area, and they were selling uh, birds and sacrificial animals, and, you know, who knows if they were legit, right? And uh, they, were, they were changing money, exchanging money. They were exchanging Roman coins for Jewish coins and using that for, for profit to get sacrifices that God required and so forth. And what did Jesus do? He knocks the tables over. He gets a, gets a cord of whips and just drives all the animals out. Why? And he, and he says, zeal for your house has consumed me. This is prophetic of Jesus here. The reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Here is, here's our Lord who's suffering, taking all that suffering upon, a, a, upon himself for us. But as for me, my prayer is to you. You also see there where, where the psalmist, where David is, is, is praying what we call this imprecation. And imprecation is, uh, you see there in verse uh, uh, like 22, verse 22 and so forth. You know, let their table become a snare. Uh, let their eyes be dark. Pour out indignation. And, and, and imprecation is a, is a prayer that God would bring judgment down. That, that's what it is. And in that prayer of imprecation, this bringing down of the, the justice of God, verse 25, may their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. Do you know where that verse gets fulfilled in the New Testament? What about Acts? Who's it talking about? Who's it talking about? Judas, right? So again, this is a prophetic psalm of Jesus. Jesus comes and takes upon himself perfectly the sufferings, as a suffering servant, the sufferings of David, the sufferings of all of God's people. And that's why you and I can read this psalm tonight. It applies to us. So it's David speaking very generically of his own sufferings. It's speaking particularly of the Messiah, Jesus. And we then, in Christ, as we know his sufferings and his glories, his death and his resurrection, we can pray the psalm. We can pray too when we experience the reality of deep distress in the believer's life. So how do, we, how do we respond? How does the psalm here, how does David here, how does the Holy Spirit here, how does Jesus here teach us how to respond to the agony and, and distress and disillusionment in this life? Again, that can come from our own sins at times. That can come from the world around us, meaning unbelieving friends, unbelieving family, Sometimes even believing family. It can come from the devil himself, right? He shoots flaming darts at us. There are lots of ways in which deep distress can enter our lives and we can experience that. So how do we respond to that? Well, there's not just deep distress here, but there's also, in that deep distress, David has a very deep faith. Now, I don't mean to say by deep, by deep faith that, that David has this sort of huge, vast quantity of faith and you know he's this hero that we will never be like and... You and I have a mustard seed. No, David has a mustard seed too. By deep faith, meaning a deep trust, 
that in the midst of the, of the circumstances of anguish, God is able to do something about it. Your faith might be teetering and tottering. Your faith might be as small as a mustard seed. But you know, some way, somehow, that God does work all things for good. I don't know how he's going to do it and when he's going to do it. It may not even be in this life, but God's going to do it. That's what deep faith is. Not that, not that one of us has deep faith and some of us have shallow faith. And, you know, saving faith is saving, uh, is saving faith in the Lord. Notice how to, how to respond to agony, uh, distress in this life. And it's the most obvious thing of all, uh, what we see here, what, what, uh, what we see David doing here is that he simply prays to God. He prays to God. The very first verse is just one example of that. What does he do? Save me, O God! Right? Not himself, not his kingly armies or his wisdom, uh, not his, 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 his allies outside the promised land who might be able to come in and invade and help him in times of need. No, you save me, O God, he says. He prays. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. So even in the anguish, as he waits for an answer, he is waiting for God. Oh God, you know my folly, verse 5. Verse 6, he he speaks of God as, Oh Lord, God of hosts. That means the God of the armies of heaven. So he realizes that the answer to his problem and his struggle is not an earthly answer, it's a heavenly one. That ultimately, whether it's it's disease, or whether it's uh, struggles with our families, or whether it's uh, persecution of the church of Jesus Christ, whether it's just our own struggles of doubts and faith, ultimately the answer is not a thing that you and I can give and we can find and we can search out. No, the answer comes from the Lord. Our help comes from him, the maker of the heavens and the earth. So he calls him multiple times here, God. He calls him the Lord God of hosts. He calls him, of course, the Lord. Uh, Verse 13, but as for me, my prayers to you, O Lord. So kids, what's the difference between God... And then LORD, but with all capital letters. If you have your Bible open or if you have the, the sermon notes page, look at verse 13 when it says, O LORD, and the LORD is there in all capital letters. What's the difference between those two? Sadie doesn't know. She's shrugging. All right. I've got, a willing, I've got, a, I've got an open student here tonight. God, of course, is the God who created the world, right? In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. But God also reveals himself in the Bible as Lord, in all, and we put it in all capital letters in English. But that's speaking of God's personal name. God is a title. Lord is a name. And he is the God who, is, who was and who is and who is to come. He was the, this is the name that God gave to Moses at, uh, at Mount Sinai, uh, the burning bush. Uh, not Mount Sinai, but the burning bush uh, in Exodus chapter 3. When he said, I am who I am. That's, that's the name Lord, right? It's his personal name. So it means that when we pray to God as God, of course, we're praying to his power and his creativity and his might, his omnipotence. But when we pray to him as Lord, we're praying to him as, as the, the God who saves, right? The covenant God. The God who promises to, to work all things out for good. The God who promised to the Israelites to bring them up out of Egypt. The God who promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob to be a savior and, and, to, and to multiply their nation uh, upon the whole face of the earth and be a blessing to every nation upon the face of the earth. That's the Lord, right? He's the faithful God. He's the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And so, first of all, the response of deep faith is just very simple. It's praying to God, 
right? We pray to God. Our Father, we pray, who art in heaven. Our Father, who art in heaven. We, we pray to him, recognizing who he is. He's powerful and he's able to help us. He's also willing as a faithful father to help us. So we pray to God, right? And, and, and his only comfort in, in, this, in this psalm is that it's God who knows. And multiple times he says, uh, you know, God. Verse 5, oh God, you know my folly, uh, and so forth. So he, he says multiple times that God knows his situation. Uh, verse number 19 again, you know my reproach, and so forth. So his comfort is that God, knows him and his sin, his own heart, his struggles, his pain. God knows. And so despite his deep distress, he keeps praying. He's doing in the Old Testament what Jesus comes and tells his disciples and tells us in the gospel. We are to ask and we are to seek and we are to knock. We are to be persistent like the widow who persistently prays asks, seeks, and knocks. So pray to God. Pray to God. And notice, uh, as he prays here, right, he's praying to God and he's, he's asking for help in this situation and we can apply that to our own situations. Uh, one commentator said, honestly telling God just how miserable our situation is uh, uh, facilitates our being specific as to just what's uh, we desire him to do for us. So as we cry to God and we're very sp- specific about our pain, it helps us at least to know what we are asking for. God, help me uh, in this particular distress. And then secondly, notice uh, the response of, of, of faith is to rely on God's promises. So yes, again and again and again, he cries out to God, and, but, and I mentioned that, he cries out to the Lord. He's the God of covenant and the God, Lord God of hosts, the God of heavenly armies. But notice oftentimes here, as he's praying, right, he's praying there in terms of God's steadfast love. Verse 13, but as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, right? That's that Hebrew term chesed that speaks of God's faithfulness, his making and keeping promises and covenants. In the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Again, verse number 16. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. So when we pray, we we need to rely on the promises that God has given. And the biggest promise, of course, is himself in Jesus. That he is uh, our God. He is with us until the end of the age. He's that great promise. And he's given us the, uh, his Holy Spirit as the down payment in our hearts of that day of redemption that is to come. We need to rely on God's promises. So often we, we of course, we, we want to rely on our, on our own wisdom, right? We want to rely on, on methods that come to us even in Christian bookstores or uh, I guess it's not Christian bookstores anymore, but on, on, on Amazon, right? Or TikTok these days. Uh, we want to rely upon all these little gimmicks and tricks. No, it's just rely on God's promises. Rely on his promises. Now, it's interesting, in the, in the Old Testament, oftentimes uh, the, the prayers of God's people are 
like this prayer, um, telling God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me. Uh, your steadfast love is good and so forth. Now, do, don't you think God knows that? So, so if God is a God of, who makes promises and keeps promises, don't, don't we think that God knows that he's made promises and that he's going to keep those promises? Does, doesn't God know that stuff already? Absolutely, he knows that. So, so why, why say it then? Why, why pray this way? God, in your steadfast love, that faithfulness that you are, right? You are, I am who I am. Answer me, help me, come, you know, come to me, help me rely upon you and so forth. So, so why pray that way? Well, it's not, for God's, it's not for God's sake or his benefit, is it? It's for ours. When we can remember what God has promised throughout his word, and we can recite those promises back to God. It's not to God's benefit, but to ours. To hide those promises deep within our hearts. To remind ourselves of, to trust in what God has said. And to identify ourselves with the people of God throughout all the ages. That God is the one. That God is the one who's helpful and who gives these promises as foundations for us. He's, he's praying here that, that his feet are, are, are in deep waters, that he is in, uh, he's, in, he's sinking in deep mire, but God's promises are the rock, right? He, he lifts us up and sets our feet, Psalm 40 said, upon a rock. His promises are that rock. And finally, the response of faith is to look to the future. I mentioned that the psalm, uh, just briefly here, uh, verse 1 to 29, is, 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 this, is this prayer of distress and anguish and affliction, right? And notice how it begins. The, uh, verse 1 begins, Save me, O God, the waters that come up to my neck, I'm sinking, and so forth. And then in verse 29, that, 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 that section ends, I'm afflicted and in pain, right? He just explained all that. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. He's sinking, but he wants his God's salvation to set him on high. So he begins and ends that plea and that agony section. Uh, he begins it and he ends it in the same way. But then there's this verse 30 to the end that, that is way different. It feels so different, this part of the psalm. It's almost like it's a different psalm. I will sing, pray, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. And it's interesting that the tense of the verbs here. Uh, are, are, are the tense uh, of things that, are, that have not yet happened, but are so certain to happen in the future that David can describe them as having already happened. So he, he's praying that he's going to do these things, that he is doing these things now, because he's so confident of what God is going to do in the future, that he can, as if, as, it's as if he can say, God's already done it. God's already helped me. God has already saved me. The Lord hears, he says, uh, his prayer. So he says, this pleases the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves, right? The sacrifice of thanksgiving is the hearts more than sacrifice. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy, does not despise his own people who are prisoners. So it's in completely different feeling of the psalm. Right? He's so confident in his God. He's praying to God, he's relying on these promises, and he's, as he's looking for the future answer to his 
present circumstance, he's praying in this great confidence and joy. Why? Because he knows who God is. He knows who God is. And it's interesting, as he's praying of himself, all throughout the psalm, even there in verse number 30, I, right, I will praise, and I will magnify, and so forth. Notice how his personal salvation leads to this sort of cosmic salvation. Verse 34, let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. God will save Zion, not just himself, but Zion, and build up the cities of Judah. People shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it. Those who love his name shall dwell in it. He's seeing the fulfillment of God's promises. He's looking into the future just like we do. We look for that heavenly Jerusalem to come down out of heaven from God. We look for that city whose builder and maker is God. We look for that city that is a place wherein only righteousness dwells. We look for that city to come where God will himself wipe away every tear from our eyes and all things shall be made new and he'll say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. We are to look to the future. That's very important for us in closing. It's very important for us. Because when we, when we hear the Romans 8.28 kind of verses and then we come to a psalm like Psalm 69, <clears throat> we might be led to believe that God works all things for good for those who love him or who are called according to his purpose. We might, we might be led to think that that means in this life. That in this life, God is going to work everything for good. But we know from experience it's not true, right? People die that we love who are Christians from cancer. But didn't God promise that he's going to work all things for good? Children, believing children, die, right? Parents grieve at miscarriages, who are believers. Isn't God promised to work all things for good? He does. But that doesn't mean necessarily in this life. It might mean in the life that is to come. And so David is pointing us to an ultimate reality, that there is an ultimate answer to all of life's anguishes and distresses, that the psalmist here described in his own particular personal way and that we have in our own prayers, our own particular personal ways, The ultimate reality, though, is that God, yes, God will hear, God will answer, God will help, God will save us, he will bless his people, and he will fulfill all of his promises just as he's intended. That begins in this life, we get a glimpse of it, but it's ultimate reality. When our Lord Jesus Christ, the one this psalm is prophesying, when the one who came to bear our sin to bear our reproach, who died for us, but yet who's alive now forevermore at the right hand of God and who promises to come again with glory to judge both living and dead. That great Savior, he speaks to us to encourage us tonight to lay our burdens down, to give God our distress, to pray to him alone, to rely on his promises, to look ultimately to that future hope, that future fulfillment of all that God has said. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you tonight for the promise that David gives to us here by the power of the Spirit, that we can rely on you, we can trust you in times of deep distress, deep anguish. Uh, You are a reliable God. You are the Lord, the God who is, who was, who is to come. The God who has helped our fathers in the past, and we know 
is helping us today and forevermore he will help his people. We can take that to the bank and we are confident. We trust in you this night. And so help us, Lord, in our daily struggles and help us to help those who are struggling even today with, with deep distress to pray, to trust, and to hope. We ask this in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, Amen. Let's turn together and sing uh, a part of uh, the psalm, uh, Psalm 69, and then the letter B.